what do the Sydney Opera House, the Oxford English Dictionary, and Wikipedia have in common? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) They all involve a technique called crowdsourcing. Now, that technique, the name of it, hadn't even been coined until the year 2005. Crowdsourcing, it turns out, is a strategy of using skill and ingenuity in a large group of people for the sake of tackling a very specific problem. So, in 1884, when the Oxford English Dictionary was catalogued, it turned out that there were 800 volunteers that came from around the surrounding community that were involved in the process. In 1957, Jorn Utzen was the winner of the design contest that was sent throughout Sydney, Australia, and he was the one who earned the right to make the design for the Sydney Opera House. And in 2001, Wikipedia was launched to become the first and fastest free encyclopedia that in fact continues to take intakes from wherever it lands throughout the world. Now, where did I get this information that I share with you today? Well, Wikipedia, of course, yeah. Well, crowdsourcing, as you know, is a method that has been gaining more and more popularity as it shares the value, as it shares the value to the answers of the questions that are not within the select few. Let me say that again so that it's a little bit clearer. Crowdsourcing is this idea that there is an answer that is out there that not just a select few know, but that in fact we can learn better by learning from more people. In fact, in some cases, crowdsourcing has been built into direct algorithms so that it can account for incoming data that is coming into a specific place. If your head is spinning, that's okay. But many of you have probably used Google Maps, right? Well, Google Maps uses this method. Every once in a while, the program will note that your car has slowed down. And it will ask you, are you experiencing a slowdown? And you hit yes or no thanks. I like that it says no thanks. Like, no thanks. Still wants to be nice in the middle of all of it. Yes or no thanks. And if you hit yes on your phone, this information then travels into a system. And lo and behold, if it comes from enough phones and enough places of intake, then a red line will start to show up on Google Maps, letting everybody know that there is traffic in this specific area. So, for review. Crowdsourcing merely takes the information that it receives from the field and then puts it back into something that will be useful for everyone. And that specific idea gives us an angle into thinking about our text today. The disciples are taking the information that they receive on the field and they are offering it up to see if in fact it will be useful. You see, the more that they follow Jesus, the more that they see that there is something that's actually going on in his life and in his ministry that, in fact, they start to discover is for everyone. They don't necessarily have words for it yet. They're not trying to control it. But they're starting to see that there is something that needs to be told. 
After they leave the synagogue, they just head to Simon and Andrew's house. They're probably going there to recover. They're having their synagogue quiet meal. And Simon's mother is in bed with a fever. So Jesus takes her by the hand, and she comes out of bed and begins to serve him. And then the gospel writer tells us that the people in town, they wait until the Sabbath is over. That's why they tell us that the sun had gone down. So they wait until it's evening to when they're permitted to come and go and mingle throughout their town. So they wait until the Sabbath is over, and then they bring those who are sick and who are afflicted with demons to Jesus. And soon, before they know it, the whole town is at the door waiting to see what will happen. Now, nobody really knows what's going to come out of this. There's no sort of outcome meeting. There's no action items that anybody has scheduled. This is a visit to just see what will happen. And then the gospel writer tells us that Jesus offers healing to many. And he sends many of the demons away. And then, after a morning prayer in a quiet place, he tells his disciples that everybody, um, even in fact that everybody is looking for him, that he needs to go to a different place so that he can do the same thing there. And what I find strikingly interesting about this passage is that the disciples at this point are not burdened with the idea that they have to tell the villages about Jesus. There's no sort of agenda that the disciples are, uh, are sort of struggling with as you read this text. In fact, the agenda that they have is maybe to take Jesus back to the place where they just were. But in fact, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to go into the next town. And so their agenda is not something that can even come into play within the text. The disciples aren't overwhelmed with the idea that they have to somehow manage Jesus' message. They're not worried about the pressure to get others in their community to come and to meet him. There's already a curiosity that is emerging that is naturally just there. But they're not trying to exacerbate that curiosity. They're just sort of letting it be. And they're not yet interested. And in fact, if you read the gospel text and you come to the end of Mark, it's very rare to find a time where the disciples are actually trying to persuade others about their discoveries. Instead, what ends up happening is that they are making themselves available to report. Just available to report. That's all. That's all that they are doing. The disciples are simply saying, This is what I see happening. And here, take this information and make it available for somebody who could make it, for whom it might be useful. The disciples are saying throughout this text, and then if you read the fullness of the Gospel of Mark, they continue to say, here he is. I'm not sure what will happen when you encounter him. But this is where he is, if you want to find him. And if you read the gospel text that we just read closely, you'll see that there's nobody who's sort of overmanaging what Jesus is doing. They come to him with all of these people from the community, and the gospel writer tells us that he cures many, and he delivers many of the demons, not all. 
So there's a sense in which they're just reporting that this is what's happening when you meet Jesus. You don't know what's going to happen. You come, many will be healed, many will be delivered. And I wonder if this open-handed, free way of offering our theology might have something to say to us in the 21st century. In Seattle, as we enter another year of being Northminster together, as we celebrate and come to the time in which we'll have our annual congregational meeting just after our service today. You know, many times we feel like we might need to edit or hide our faith. In some instances, we might feel that we need to be sort of ashamed of it, or maybe we need to put it over to the side. Or in some instances, we might feel passionately unashamed of it. We want to share it with others, and we don't quite know what to say. Or perhaps we enter into times where we're faced with deep theological questions that we don't know the answer to. There was one time when my 10-year-old niece asked this question, why did God answer the prayer about a family friend but didn't answer the prayer about my grandpa? You know, we don't know the answers to those questions. And suddenly, when we're faced with those, we might become overwhelmed with this idea that our faith doesn't make sense. How can we share it with others when we're still figuring it out for ourselves? Or we might have more intellectual questions. How do some Christians see the world one way and others see it drastically different? These observations around the world and through our world might make us unsure about our faith in different instances. These are all very, very good questions. They are. And many times the only way to the answers, not that there even are answers sometimes, but the only way to them is through them to process them. And these questions are good. They're part of our story. But the purpose of our time together today is not to offer an answer to those questions. The purpose of our time together today is to talk about how do we talk about spirituality and faith when we don't have the answers to our questions. Because that's often where we find ourselves. And our gospel writer today tells us that we can bring people to Jesus without having to work out the answers to all of our questions. We can bring people to Jesus even if we have no idea what will happen when they get there. It's a little scary, isn't it? We don't know. We can't control that interaction. We can bring people to Jesus with the same model that the disciples used. And that is, here he is. This is the man with all of his gifts and with all of his limits. You are free to encounter him yourself. Friends, in 1908, in what was then known as the state or the country of Ceylon, and what is now known as Sri Lanka, there was a man born by the name of Daniel Thambai Raja Niles. He was born into a family where he lost his mother at the age of one, and his father later remarried and had a large family. And in his later schooling, it was a Hindu mathematics teacher 
that met this individual, Daniel, and told him that he was actually cut out for the work of doing Christian ministry. He became a Methodist minister. He was known as Reverend D.T. Niles. Perhaps you've heard of his name. And D.T. Niles, as he grew in his work, became known for the way that he talked about evangelism. And he talked about it this way. He said, evangelism is the proclamation of an event, but it is also an invitation to an encounter. And this is his most oft-quoted sentence, and I'm sure that many of you have heard of this, and now you'll know who it, who it came from. It was Reverend Niles that later said this sentence, Evangelism is witness. It is one beggar telling another where to find food. Friends, we do not have all of the answers. We do not have the grand narrative figured out. We can't explain God and climate change, God and fake news, God and you name it. We can't explain the reality of so much that troubles us and the gospel and the fact that these things seem to coexist with each other. We can't explain that all the time. We can do the work of processing it. It doesn't take the responsibility off of us to continue to do that work of understanding. But we don't have to have all the answers in order to have an encounter with Jesus. We can just say, here he is. In our text today, Peter and Andrew, they couldn't explain the fever. They had no idea what had come to Peter's or to Andrew's mother-in-law or to Simon's mother-in-law. But they could say, here he is. The townspeople, as they came before Jesus, they couldn't explain the demons and the sickness that they saw throughout their village, but they could say, here he is. And when Peter starts to talk to Jesus about what is happening in the town, Jesus is clear that other towns within the same vicinity need to have the same option. They need to be able to say, here he is. And that is our text for today. As we enter into the coming week and into the coming month, I know that there's work that we need to do when it comes to understanding who we are and the place within our culture. But there's a greater invitation before us, one that can meet us in every place that we stand. And that is the invitation to encounter Jesus, to simply come before him and say, here he is. He has offered his life on our behalf. He continues in every instance to say, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your story, I love you as my own. And all we have to do is to come before him and say, here he is. Friends, I want to close our time today with an Ignatian practice. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes this morning, I'm going to ask you to imagine yourself in a place that 
you experience peace. It can be anywhere where you experience it. Perhaps it's the comfort of your own armchair at home. Perhaps it's a field that you remember being in as a young child. Perhaps it's a park that offers you solace and contentment. Just imagine yourself in that place. And I want you to imagine that over off in the distance, just a few feet away from you to the right, that Jesus approaches. It doesn't matter what he looks like. It doesn't matter if it's woman or man. Jesus is coming. He sits next to you. Just let him sit there. Now open your ears. What does he say? Now say thank you. Help me. Let us pray. Lord, as you meet us wherever we are, help us to hear you. Help us to listen. Help us not to feel burdened by the questions that overwhelm us, but instead to just say, there you are. We ask this in your name. Amen.